Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Daikin. Hey, Texans fans, get a home field advantage this summer with Daikin Air Intelligence Tips you can use to beat the heat in your home. Learn how to lower your energy costs, reclaim your outdoor space, and breathe easier by improving your indoor air quality. It's all part of Daikin's Air Intelligence, and you can learn all about it by visiting daikinloveshouston.com. As one of Houston's largest employers, Daikin is doing big things for your fellow Texans. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer today. Now back to the show. Here's the snap. Looking. Flips the ball. Diving for the pylon. And he's got it. Razzle-dazzle. Touchdown, Houston. And the Texans go in front. Game day is every day. We had a lot of energy, and we brought a lot of spark for this organization. The best is yet to come. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Ball is out. The Texans say they have it, and they do. Now it's Texans All Access Coaches Edition, presented by Emergy Bank of Texas. Welcome in, everybody, to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And on tonight's show, we got John McClain. We've also got Andre Ware, and we also have a recap of week five in the NFL. More exciting each and every week. Plays made that just mystify. And it started on Thursday night as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took on the Chicago Bears. And the Buccaneers, they couldn't find a way to stop Jimmy Graham. For the Bears. They like Jimmy Graham down here in the red zone. Pulls end zone. What a catch! Graham touchdown. That Jimmy Graham touchdown in the back of the end zone. Man, what a catch that was. And that would give the Bears a 14 to 13 lead. Then it was a field goal fest from that point on. Suck up. Santos, suck up. And then finally, with a minute 13, Cairo Santos hit the winner as the Bears upset. Upset? Yeah, upset. The Bucks at Soldier Field, 20-19. to 19. The Bears at 4-1 and one on the year. The Buccaneers fall to 3-2. and two. All right, speaking of 3-2, and two, how about the Carolina Panthers getting it done on Sunday but it didn't start out well, that's for sure. Thanks, Carissa. On third down and three. They converted last time on third and two. Ryan hands off to Gurley. It's Todd Gurley. Nobody's going to get him. He's going to have a Falcons touchdown. Gurley with a little bit of a throwback day for the Falcons. 14 carries, 121 yards, including that 35-yard touchdown run. But it was not enough. Why? Well, because the Panthers had Teddy Bridgewater and DJ Moore. Pressure is picked up, and Bridgewater delivers for the first down. Running loose. It's DJ Moore down the sideline. DJ Moore has a Panther touchdown. He just outran the Atlanta secondary. That's not unusual. Not because of the Falcons because D.J. Moore can absolutely fly. D.J. Moore had four catches 
for 93 yards, including that touchdown. But Mike Davis, nine catches, 60 yards, receiving and receiving touchdown. He also ran for 89 yards on the ground. Robbie Anderson had eight catches for 112 yards. Curtis Samuel had five catches for 36 yards, four carries for 28 yards as the Panthers spread the wealth and get a win. They're third in a row as they beat the Falcons 23-16. to It's time for Joey B, the number one overall pick to visit Baltimore. The Bengals got a win last week. Would they get another win this week? Uh, no. This was not going to be a good day for Joey B and the Bengal offense. The Ravens getting it done all game long, and it started early, early, as Devin Duvernay got things going for the Ravens. The give coming around the side to Duvernay, and Duvernay, who can motor down the sideline, trying to break away, and finally bumped out of bounds close to the 30. Duvernay picked up 42 big yards on that run. He also had two catches for 17 yards. But in holding the Bengals to three points, the defense was unbelievably good, as you would expect. And they went after the number one overall pick, Joe Burrow. 37. Burrow looking the other way. Got hit from behind. And the ball is loose. Let's see who comes up with it. Baltimore says they have it. And they do. The Baltimore defense sacked Burrow. Seven times. Seven times. They held the passing game to 183 yards from Burrow. The running game got only 70 on 28 carries, 2.5 yards a pop. It was a defensive day in Baltimore, and the Ravens get it done. They go to 4-1. They beat the Bengals 27-3 in Baltimore. A few Mondays ago, the Ravens lost to the Chiefs. That kept the Chiefs undefeated until Sunday afternoon as the Las Vegas Raiders came a-calling. Raiders v. Chiefs, you can throw the records out the, re- out the window because these two teams do not like each other, ever. The Chiefs are fast. So in the draft, the Raiders wanted to get even faster. So they went out and got Henry Ruggs, and that move paid off early. Third and ten. Car step. Deep ball. Upstairs. Oh, it's Henry Ruggs. Takes the ladder for the reception. And the Raiders are in business. Let me tell you about Henry Ruggs. If you have not seen the video of him dunking the basketball while in high school, you'll understand why he went up over the top of the Chiefs right there. Sick athlete. Fast athlete. A guy that's not as fast, but is also a really good athlete, is Nelson Aguilar. He dropped a few passes with the Eagles, which allowed the Raiders to go get him. And he's done nothing but make plays for them. Runs in motion. Car on second and six. Downfield. Connection made with Aguilar. Touchdown, Raiders. Big play, Nelson Aguilar. And Carr with the perfect toss, 59 yards. That Aguilar touchdown pulled the Raiders back within four and made this a ball game. But the Chiefs, well, they've got speed of their own, including the Cheetah. Second and five, hooks a pass. 
over the shoulder crab. Tyreek Hill is a highlight maker. If Dominique Wilkins didn't have the name the human highlight film, I think I'd want Tyreek Hill to have that name. However, this was not going to be the Chiefs' day. They couldn't stop rugs. Derek Carr was outstanding. But that man, Devontae Booker? Oh, yeah. How about a little Devontae Booker on the ground? Devontae Booker looks sharp in the last possession. He stays in there, and Booker is running with authority. Breaks tackles. Devontae Booker busting it to the outside. The chase down by Thornhill. And Booker didn't even lead the Raiders in rushing. He ended with seven carries for 62 yards. Josh Jacobs led them with 77 yards on 23 carries. But in all, they ran for 144 on 35 attempts. But this day was about Derek Carr and his connection with his rookie, Henry Ruggs. And they hooked up to give the Raiders a lead from 72 yards away. Carr airs it out. Separation. Hold in. Henry Ruggs. The speed. Touchdown. Carr with another bomb. And the Raiders go in front. The Raiders would go on to win this one 40-32 in Arrowhead, knocking the Chiefs to the ranks of the undefeated. And the Raiders move to 3-2. and two. And we might just have a little bit of a rivalry back in the AFC West with two very speedy, speedy wide receiver groups with the Raiders and the Chiefs. Now, speaking of wide receivers, one of the best ones in the league is a guy we all know very well. That, my friends, is DeAndre Hopkins. He had himself a day at MetLife Stadium. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. But the day started off with some running game with Chase Edmonds. Quarterback. Delayed handoff and Chase Edmonds off to the races. And Edmonds into the end zone for an Arizona touchdown. That 29-yard touchdown run by Chase Edmonds, who went to Fordham right nearby. New Jersey, close enough to New York City. That gave the Cardinals a 7-0 lead. And then Kyler Murray and that man, DeAndre Hopkins, took over the game. Murray looking deep for DeAndre Hopkins on the sideline. And DeAndre Hopkins adjusting his body to make the catch. Murray looking deep down the sideline for DeAndre Hopkins. Again, Hopkins hangs on for the touchdown. What a throw, what a catch. And the touchdown stretches the lead to 20. And that's how it would end. Cardinals 30, Jets 10, hop 6, 131, and a touchdown. James Crowder had himself a good day for the Jets. Eight catches, 116 yards, and a touch. But Joe Flacco is just not going to win games for you anymore. Cardinals 30, Jets 10. Cardinals go to 3-2, and two, and the Jets still looking for a win in 2020. All right, the Battle of Pennsylvania took place at Heinz Field. There was a lot going on in this particular game, but it got started with the Eagles and their second-year running back, Miles Sanders. Third down and nine, Eagles must get to the 35 for a first down. They keep it on the ground, and Sanders is still going in Steelers' territory. The Pittsburgh native, Miles 
Miles Sanders takes it all the way with his mom and many friends in attendance here at Heinz Field. 74 yards for an Eagles score. Wow. That score tied the game at seven. But Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers would pull away in this one and win this 38-29. to Why? Rookie Chase Claypool. Check out the day that the rookie had. He carried the ball three times for six yards and a touchdown. He caught seven passes for 110 yards for three touchdowns. He had four total touchdowns in just his fifth NFL game. Yeah, I think the Steelers found a little something with Chase Claypool. What an afternoon. 10 touches, 116 yards, and four touchdowns as the Steelers stay unbeaten 4-0 with a 38-29 win over Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. The L.A. Rams flew cross-country to take on the Washington football team. That would include Alex Smith. The last time Alex Smith played a game, we all were there. And they played the Texans in 2018. Unfortunately, Smith would break his leg that day. 17 surgeries after a ton of infection where he almost lost his leg. Alex Smith came back. Kyle Allen got hurt. Smith came in. Didn't do a ton. In fact, he was sacked six times. But the fact that he got back on the field, the story in this one on the Washington football team side. The Rams would win 30-10 to in large part because of Jared Goff. They motion out Woods. Goff trying to make it nine for nine. He wants a lot here. He wants Woods. He has Woods. And Robert Woods is in. Touchdown. A big strike. Jared Goff to Robert Woods. And the Rams are back in front on the 56-yard connection. On third and four, there's Cup. And he's got some room. It's a foot race. Cup and Troy Apke. And Apke will finally drape him out of bounds around the 10-yard line. The Rams won this thing 30-10. Offense did enough. The defense did it all. How about the fact that Aaron Donald had four sacks for 23 yards? Troy Reader, three sacks. It's the first time since Watt and Merciless did it for the Texans that two teammates had three-plus sacks each in a game. It doesn't happen often, but it did happen right there at NRG Stadium. It happened right there in Landover at FedEx Field as the Rams dominated the Washington football team 30-10. to The Miami Dolphins went out to San Francisco and took on the 49ers. It's a pretty tall mountain to climb for the Dolphins, you'd think. But it didn't turn out that way. Fitzpatrick's going to take a deep shot for Preston Williams. What a start. The Dolphins coming out slinging and Patrick connects. And Fitzy didn't stop. And neither did Preston Williams. Fitzpatrick hit as he throws. What a throw on target to Preston Williams. It's a touchdown for the Dolphins. Williams finished with four catches for 106 yards and a touchdown. Fitzy was the story. 22 of 28 for 350 yards and three touchdowns. Nearly a perfect rating, 154.5. 
The story for the 49ers, nothing good. Jimmy Garoppolo pulled at halftime, two interceptions. C.J. Beathard came in, threw a touchdown, but the 49ers go down in defeat at home, 43-17 to to the Dolphins. Dolphins are a whole heck of a lot better than anybody could have anticipated. An excellent game for Fitzy on the road like he was in Jacksonville. He did it in Santa Clara. All right, the Browns and the Colts matched up in one of the games of the day. And for the Browns, well, it was about pick sixes. Rivers steps up and throws. It's picked. Intercepted. And this is going to be a pick six for Harrison. This game was all over the map. Pick six right there from Ronnie Harrison, followed up by a 101-yard kickoff return for the Colts, Isaiah Rodgers. Then there was a safety for the Browns. Fuel goals galore. This one was crazy. But in the end, the Browns get it done at home, 32-23, to and the Browns are 4-1. and Baker Mayfield, 247 yards, passing two touchdowns. OBJ, 58 yards in receiving. Jarvis Landry, 88 yards receiving as the Browns get it done. But the big story, interceptions. Sheldrick Redwine, one. Ronnie Harrison, a pick six. Browns win. They're four and one. The Colts lose. They fall to three and two. I got home in time to watch the afternoon game of the Giants and Cowboys. Unfortunately, saw Dak Prescott go down. And what an awful injury that was. Andy Dalton came in the game, tried to keep the train on the tracks, and he did, but the Cowboys were down late in this one, and Dalton looked to Michael Gallup. for Gallup. Oh, and he holds it in! One play later, Greg Zerline would knock home the game winner and leave the Cowboys on the year two and three, and leading the NFC East, Cowboys win 37-34. Dak Prescott was doing a pretty solid job while he was in there. 14 of 21 for 166. Dalton came in after Prescott's injury. 9-11 for 111 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions, but had a couple of key completions one to C.D. Lamb for a first down that set up a Zeke Elliott touchdown run. And then that one to Michael Gallup that set up the game-winning field goal. Thoughts and prayers with Dak Prescott. That was an awful, awful injury in this game. Hated seeing it. Loved Dak. Even though he's a cowboy, I love that man. He is an absolute stand-up dude in everything that he does. And then Sunday night, Minnesota went to take on the Seahawks. And man, what a barn burner this was, but the star on this night, yet again, D.K. Metcalf. And it's man coverage. Here they come again. Wilson hanging in the pocket. Wilson going deep downfield, and it's going to be caught by Metcalf. Beach Dancer on the play. And he is out of bounds at about the 30-yard line. Wilson surveys, fires, and it is going to be caught by D.K. Metcalf for a touchdown. That is an unbelievable drive. 
Metcalf led the Seahawks with six catches for 93 yards and those two touchdowns. Russell Wilson, not a great night by his standard, but he did throw three touchdown passes in the 27-26 to win over the Minnesota Vikings, who played the Texans last week. The Vikings look to have that one going in their direction. And then DK Metcalf changed that whole game around. Seahawks win 27-26 and stay undefeated at 5-0. All right, we get back. How about a visit from the general, John McClain, right here on Texans All Access. Can't get enough Texans radio? We've got shows. We've got podcasts. We've got interviews. It's all on HoustonTexans.com. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, and now it's time to talk to our good friend, John McClain, from the Houston Chronicle, Texas Sports Nation. And right off the bat, we just wanted to get the general's thoughts on what he saw yesterday. Well, first of all, it's always good to get a victory. And too bad they can't play Jacksonville every week because the Jaguars are bad. Jacksonville's (laughs) defense, of course, was missing three starters, three of their best players, plus they had Jones kicked out for hitting uh, Cooks in the head. What impressed me the most was the defense because Jacksonville came in averaging 24.4 points a game. They kept them to 10 point four points fewer than the Jaguars at average. James Robinson, their rookie running back, had 285 yards. He was averaging 4.8 yards of carry, and he had three touchdowns. He had 13 for 48, and after the first two series, on the last eight possessions, he had 15 yards. And, of course, that ill-fated Wildcat call of a fourth down in which he fumbled, and J.J. White recovered for the first turnover of the season so the defense has gone from 32nd against the run to 30th the offense has gone from 32nd in rushing to 30th and i tell you something that that may be the most impressive of all the statistics is the texans wanted to throw the ball down the field more guess who is second in the nfl in average yards per attempt with 8.9 per pass play. Watson, number one is Jared Goff, 9.03. So that was 8.90. If he could keep that up, would shatter his career high. And uh, so, it, indeed, they're taking advantage of that speed. But, man, what great touch Watson had on a couple of those throws down the sideline to Cooks. Well, I can't wait to talk to Tim Kelly tonight on the Coach's Show, John. But your overall impression of the offense, Tim guiding it without Bill looking over his shoulder or anything kind of in the way. What would you think of the way the offense functioned and what would you think of Tim's performance calling those plays yesterday? It was the most yards they'd had since his Atlanta game last season in which Watson threw five touchdown passes. And what, they had 52 or 53 points against the Falcons. 53. So that was the most, most yards since then. And uh, – there was a lot of things they did that was the best since they did it last season when they were going well. Fewest yards allowed rushing, the total yards they they had. So they got to be happy with that. One interception was tipped at the line of scrimmage. The other was tipped by the DB 
John Sidney Jones and then returned. And so I thought, and, and it's easy to say this, but it's a fact. Tim Kelly and Anthony Weaver had their best games. Now they got to keep it up and we'll get much better barometer about where this team is going to go when they play at Tennessee in the next game. And that's going to be interesting, John, because Tennessee plays tomorrow night, so it's a short week for them. Plenty of time to recover, obviously. It's like a, it's not quite a Thursday game. It's actually better than a Thursday game, time in between games. But what about their situation? I think it's important to get to this because it affects the whole league. And apparently the positive they had yesterday is, is irrelevant in the sense that this person has not been around the rest of the team. But what a bizarre situation, General. It is, and I'm thinking, Mark, it's not going to be the only one we're going to see as they get into colder weather. The doctors have told us for months that uh, COVID-19 is going to be worse in the winter, just like the flu and colds and everything else. And so it's coming, and the league is doing everything it can right now not to have that 18th week, but they're going to have to because there's just going to be too many. There's already, I think, yesterday, nine schedule changes that mm-hmm. uh, teams that have been forced to be made already. So you can imagine what it's going to be like toward the end of the season. And the Titans haven't been in their facility. I did. I, get, I guess they went back yesterday and had a short practice. That's the first time in, in uh, a long time since they've been back. Everything else they've been doing remotely, except for those illegal practices, that they're going to get really, really penalized for. But you know what it means? Uh, for, for Say for this game Tuesday night, it means Derek Henry's well-rested. And one of the things, the offshoots of the COVID-19 situation, when you have games that are delayed, it helps injured players get healthy. And people don't talk about that, but that's a fact. The longer you go that you don't play, the healthier your team is going to be when it does play. So just like the Titans, they, they've beaten three teams so far, I think, by two, three, and one point. And that includes Denver, Minnesota, and Jacksonville. And those teams all have a terrible rest, a much bigger barometer for the Titans going against the Bills, who are me, to me are the most surprising team in the league. The Bills have done a great job since losing that wild card game here. They're they're trying to win the AFC South and be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I thought this year, John, with the COVID situation, I I didn't think that coaches would get a pass. But I didn't see two coaches and two GMs being fired by week five this year. So I ask you this question. Houston, Atlanta, which job for a GM, which job for a head coach is more attractive? The Texans have been more stable through their history as far as head coaches. Dom Capers lasted five years considering he arrived a year early. Uh, Gary Kubiak wins three games shy of his eighth season. Bill O'Brien fired four games into his seventh season. So it's got stability. It's got Deshaun Watson. As owners that want to spend, will spend a lot of money and want to know what's going on, but will let the general manager and the coach do their job. Now, Arthur Blank is the same way. 
These are both really attractive jobs. It's not like it's Cleveland that's employed four coaches in four years and may finally have gotten it turned around. And the Bengals or some of the Detroit, where everybody thinks they're going to fire Matt Patricia, or the Giants or the Jets, all these teams that seem to have a lot of problems and owners don't have a lot of stability with their coaches. I'm kind of surprised they fired the general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. He'd been there 12 years. And think about it. If Kyle Shanahan had called one different play in the Super Bowl, and they might have beaten the Patriots. When did Instead, the Patriots had the greatest Super Bowl comeback in history. And uh, But – when you when you start the way the Falcons started last year and Quinn saved his job and Arthur Blank decided to go one more and then they've just been awful. And so I'm not surprised he was fired, but I am surprised that general manager Thomas Dimitrov got it at this point too. Well, it's funny because with O'Brien's situation, with it happening so early, do you think it just opened the floodgates for, for possibilities? And you start looking around the league. I mean, Adam Gase is – I mean, he's got to be walking the plank at some point. And, you know, I hate to say that about somebody's career, but he'll get a job as a coordinator or something like that. But did the Texans sort of start something here a little bit earlier than a lot of people anticipated? I I don't think so. I'll tell you one thing that that's interesting to me. The Texans have done an outstanding job on the COVID-19 pandemic because they've yet to have anybody test positive. You need, we keep thinking it's inevitable. I think it will be, but somebody will test positive, and then they go from there. But they've done a great job, and Bill O'Brien's a big part of that. Jack Easterfield, of course, the doctors, the medical people, they've all contributed and overseen that, and the same thing in Atlanta. So sometimes you think getting rid of your coach and GM, Arthur Blank has, a, has somebody there that he's confident can run that show for him and be the next coach and maybe get them turned around. They've got a really good quarterback in place too. He's a lot older than Deshaun Watson, but that's, that is a very attractive job. You know, give me a Houston and Atlanta over Detroit and the jets and the giants and some of those teams that, that it's inevitable that they'll be changing. That was a fun conversation with the general plenty more. Go check out our podcast page. For Texans Monday, and you'll hear that full conversation with John McClain. Coming up next, it's our pal Andre Ware right here on Texans All Access. Download the Texans mobile app for news, videos, alerts, and more on your Houston Texans. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points Saturday nights at 1030 or after the late local news on ABC 13. All right, all right, all right. We got one final segment of this Monday edition of Texans All Access. And yes, I'm feeling myself because the Texans got in the wing column yesterday. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And one small part of the Texans game day radio crew, Mark Vandermeer, and our next guest, Andre Ware, make up that crew. And it's some of those fun that I have getting a chance to sit with them every single Sunday talking football. And we had a chance to talk to Andre about many things. So let's get rolling. Just what the doctor ordered, a victory and an offensive breakout game of sorts. How you doing, my friend? Good, man. Good. Just trying to uh, 
grab some breakfast tacos this morning from my favorite place, Solis de Taco, and uh, just <laughs> trying to graze a little bit. But uh, I have ran into a problem because they're closed today. So I ran, oh. flew all the way down there trying to get back in time to catch oh, no. this call. And, uh, yeah, to no, no avail, they were closed. So I'm sorely disappointed. See, I do like this about you, though, because I know that you've driven distances to get what you really want. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, you if it's to. on your mind and your taste buds are craving it, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you do what you got to do to get there. And uh, mm-hmm. I did that into uh, – I didn't get rewarded for my hard work. Yeah. Well, you give them a plug, so well, that's one thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're a lot like my son. My son um, has his particular breakfast taco place, and he'll yeah. ask for a breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which, by the way, breakfast for dinner, I'm all about it. Where Every you day? Oh, on no it. doubt. Oh, no doubt. Sign me right, up. No doubt. All right. No yeah, doubt. I love you that much more. Okay, just making yes. sure. Making no, sure. No but no then they put, my, they put my son's favorite taco place on Favor and Uber Eats. Uh, forget about it. My my yep. food bill the last couple of months has been through the roof. I get all these <laughs> b- bags of tacos showing up at my door, and I'm like, Jack, did you? Yeah, he did. He did. Did it again. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. Good so stuff. So what, what do you think yesterday, Dre? Because, uh, look, the, the defense for the Jags, not the best in the world, and they were missing some guys. What about the Texans' defense and what they did to Jacksonville? Early on we thought, ooh, ooh Robinson could be a big problem, but they, they contained him, and they did a nice job overall throughout the afternoon. Yeah, you know, when you start looking, looking at we're, we're privy to all the stuff pregame, who's playing, who's not, and you know, all that. And you see Josh Allen's not in the game, so they don't have a, a pass rusher. And then you start looking at the corners and who's out. So you figure, okay, this could be a big day because, you know, this isn't the Jacksonville that, that played earlier in the season or whatever, but this is one that you should take advantage of and you should win the football game. And they did exactly that. They went out, they played well on both sides of the ball and, uh, and took care of business. So it was what was needed at the time. Certainly they, uh, they, everybody I think contributed in a major way. When you talk about the receiving core, uh, David Johnson had a great, you know, had a solid game. Deshaun had a great game. Uh, the tight ends contributed and, and uh, so on and so forth. Even the defense, on basically every level of the defense played uh, played solid, so it was it was a good overall win that was much needed and uh, at the at this time. Dre, we've seen every play of this team for the last uh, six plus seasons, and we we know when this team has got some some bounce to its step, we can tell when it's a little flat. What did you mm-hmm. sense yesterday, just watching this team in the first game since uh, since uh, Romeo Cornell took over as interim head coach? What was kind of your sense of the vibe that they kind of had working yesterday? Yeah, it was actually what I noticed was not game time or in game. It was actually pregame. And I just wanted to see how the team would bounce around through warmups and uh, as they came out individually and then as a group. And uh, they were dancing during stretch that, you know, there was a, t- a feel that was different. Uh, than in previous weeks. And so uh, that's when I first noticed it. And then they go out and they start, you start playing a little bit, you're jockeying for position within the game. And, and uh, once they were able to get a lead and, and start to play with some confidence, you, you could sense that what was about to happen. So uh, it, for me, it was well before the game even kicked off. You knew there was just a different vibe uh, that I hadn't seen in, war- in pregame warmups. Andre, it's so different for these assistant coaches. I mean, Bill O'Brien's gone. He hired them, and Romeo's great. I mean, Romeo has a wealth of experience. The guy is a natural leader, 
and to have him around is really perfect for this situation. But what about the situation? I always say it's in the best interest of everyone to win. I mean, everyone's careers will mm-hmm. benefit no matter where they end up. But it's got to be a strange dynamic in the building right now for the coaches working with these players, uh, not knowing what the future holds for them. Yeah, and I, you know, I was teasing you guys are toying with the idea. What if they ran off 12 in a row? You know, what, what, do you, what do you do then? I mean, Keep the band together, baby. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of hard to, to move on from 12 wins in a row. Um, but you're right. He, he is a natural leader. He's been around this uh, a time or two. He's had the opportunity to kind of sit and take in how things were done and you assess it to where, well, you know, I might not have done that that way or I might not have talked to this person this way. Or, you know, he, he's not that kind of person. He, he engages everyone with a smile. And that's the thing that's contagious about Romeo Cornell is the smile at the initial greeting. And he just puts you at ease. And so it's easy to play for a guy like that. And plus, he knows when to turn it up, what buttons to push on certain players. You can't coach every player the same. And uh, I think he gets that. So uh, it is a calming presence that is much needed at the ver- at the perfect time. And I think yesterday's result was uh, was partly because of that. After the press conference, he says, well, yeah, I smile a lot. And I thought that was a good comment that <laughs> Romeo made um, in that stead. Deshaun Watson yesterday, Dre, looked very, very good in large part because of the protection in front of him. Now, there's no Yannick Ngakwe, and there will never be Yannick in Jacksonville again. But there was also no Josh Allen yesterday. Mm-hmm. So the pass rush was lacking a little bit for Jacksonville, yet – with all that being said, how do you think the pass protection was yesterday for Deshaun uh, against the Jags? No, I thought it was outstanding, and, and I think Deshaun can play better. I, I'm, I guarantee you, right now, as he's gone over that film, based on what I saw yesterday, he's kind of kicking himself, uh, especially on an interception where he had uh, a check down to to David Johnson, where he threw into coverage, and it, it, the result was an interception. So there's more. Uh, that can be uh, that he can play better, even better than what he played yesterday. But I thought the pass protection was was outstanding. Uh, you're only you play against what you face, and that's what they faced, and they did the job needed uh, to to get things done yesterday. So uh, it was, as I mentioned, a, a great overall win across the board uh, for all of them. It was much needed. Uh, you <laughs> the the building's burning down, and uh, you got. You know, you can help put the flames out. That's what uh, that's what happened yesterday. Dre, the Titans play the Bills tomorrow night, so the Texans scheduled to play the Titans on Sunday. I say scheduled because things are changing in the NFL. Denver and the Patriots got moved. <laughs> and, and allow me to share some of this information with you guys. Yeah. that Denver and the Patriots will be played Sunday. KC Bills Week 6 moves to Thursday, uh, moves to Monday, October 19th. Jets of Miami Week 10 moves to Week 6. Jets at the Chargers moves from Week 6 to Week 11. Jags at Chargers moves from Week 8 to Week 7. Stop me. Uh, the Chargers at the Broncos Week 11 to Week 8. Chargers at Dolphins Week 7 to Week 10. Boy, the Chargers are just getting – this is the barnstorming team. of they them. Well, they had nothing it, happened to them. I know, but here's the deal. They, I was just going to say it like bluntly. They have no fans. No, they do have fans. But they're the they're the L.A. Vagabond Chargers. They're a barnstorming team. You know, just, just put them anywhere you want. I mean, that's kind of how they get treated. And then you have Dolphins at Denver week 6 to week 11. A lot of changes already. And I, I bring all this up because strange times for sure. How does this affect players? Because you have a Tuesday night game, Dre, and then you play again on Sunday, and the Titans have barely practiced yesterday for the first time in a long time, legally anyway, 
and it's got to be strange for the players to deal with this. Yeah, I expected this more on the college level, certainly, than I did uh, on the NFL level. And obviously, there have been some some reshuffling of the deck and games canceled and postponed and, and rescheduled and all of what goes into that. But I expected it much more on the collegiate level because, you know, as a pro, you kind of know what's at stake and you don't want it to shut down because obviously the guys that opted to play want to be paid and compensated and they want to play and compete. And so you think you do the best job possibly, you know, that you can when then you find out guys are out at bars and and parties and so on and so forth. Like it's, it's a normal time uh, in everybody's life. Well, you got to sacrifice and if you want to play, you want you you better sacrifice. And so this uh, the reshuffling of it. Once once you start to have positive tests, then the NFL is going to do what it can to uh, to obviously save a season by rescheduling games. So I get it, but uh, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, I know the Steelers a couple of weeks ago. I was reading that you know they were ticked off because their bye week was interrupted, but that's going to be part of it, and and somebody else is going to be affected in that way and before long there'll be multiple teams that are affected in that way you just it's just the culture of what we're going through and so everybody's got to be a little bit patient including the players and and these organizations and teams that that are uh, that are obviously in the mix but it's these are, are troubling times that we're just gonna have to ride the wave Basically, Mark just said the Chargers live in Reseda and the Rams live in Beverly Hills. It's basically what he's saying about the two L.A. teams. Um, I just hope the Chargers don't turn into Cobra Chargers Kai. Chargers should, um, should have never left San Diego. I mean, yeah. do what you got to do to get a, a stadium built and, you know, mm-hmm. swallow some pride or whatever it is. But uh, I still, to this day, have, have problems calling them the L.A. Chargers. I don't and know then, that I'll ever, ever get past that. And I want to say that I, I mean, I could have been dreaming this. Who, who knows what I've been dreaming about lately. But Qualcomm, I think, got blown up the other day. I think there's no more Qualcomm or Jack Murphy oh. or whatever they called it. I think it's dead, which oh, is sad wow. because San Diego should have a team. It should have a stadium. And that's the, I mean, the chart. You're right. Char, Chargers should have never left. There's, there's the no question the Chargers play? Never left. Where do the Aztecs play? Where do the Aztecs They're getting their own stadium. I think they're getting an on-campus stadium, I believe. I have well, to why don't they just don't, team up with the Chargers and get a stadium? Oh, stop me. Stop me. Yeah. Okay. I think they were trying to, and I think that's what was going to happen had they stayed. But I think San Diego State decided to go into business for its own self, which yeah, they I guess broke, I can't, you, they can't they broke ground this year. You're right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you yeah. have a, san, a fan base in San Diego. You don't have one in L.A., and people, for that matter, could really care less uh, because there's so much to do in, in, uh, in that area of California. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly not enough to go around to support uh, two teams like New York or wherever else. Um, it's, just, it's just different when you're out in California. It's crazy. Yeah, no what question. Is, what does it do for the the offense and for the whole football team when Cornell says, yeah, go for it on fourth down and four at the 28-yard yep. line? It's not like fourth and inches. It's fourth and four, right. and you can kick a 46-yard no, field goal. Number one, you're, t- you're telling your quarterback that you trust him to do the right thing with the football. Uh, that's first and foremost. And then you're telling the entire offense that, hey, I've got confidence in you to get this done. You know, we've talked about it during practice. Maybe you've run plays in practice or created situations. And then the players think, I will never call that. I I remember John Jenkins telling us one time at Houston that, you know, we're going to get so good at throwing the ball that we'll go for it. You know, we're going to throw it on fourth and short. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, whatever. We're going to turn around and give this baby the spoon. (laughs) 
or, or somebody, you know, one of these backs. And sure enough, you're in a game, and then all of a sudden, here comes 60Z Reed, you know, to, to throw it. That's a little flat slant combination to two-receiver route. And uh, and lo and behold, you completed and moved the chain. So it's like, oh, yeah, I remember when he said we would get this good to do it on fourth down. So that's a message to the entire group that, hey, I've got confidence. Let's go get it done. And, and they uh, they rewarded the head coach for doing that. Oh, they absolutely rewarded Romeo Cornell with his first win as interim head coach for the Texans. All right, that's going to do a big thanks to Dre, to John, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. 610. 610.